Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. How you doing? Great to have you at church today. You're happy to be here? Who enjoyed that praise and worship earlier? It was gorgeous. Thank you, team. Aren't they amazing the way they serve us week in, week out? Very cool. Uh, it is the 4th of December. Is it the 4th? 4th of December. It's the fourth last Sunday of the year. I know. 2022 is uh, just about behind us. And it is summertime. Glory to God. Who loves summer? Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. It is summertime. Everything just feels better in the summertime. To me, anyway, (laughs) all the winter lovers said boo, hiss. Hey, I want to give give you a warm welcome if you're watching online today. It's great to have you with us. We had a great time in the earlier service, and I believe this service is no different, right? You got faith today. You're here to hear from the Lord today. I believe he's here to speak to you. Amen. Uh, A few weeks ago, in one of the services, I was... uh, asked to MC the service. And as I got up at the end of the sort of worship time, I really felt that the Holy Spirit impressed heavily on my heart that there was many people in the building, in the church congregation right now that are facing challenging situations, that they're in places in their life where they are experiencing hardships and different things going on in their life. And we know it's Christmas and it's supposed to be the joyful season, right? Everything is supposed to be bright and shiny and twinkling and Buble and Mariah, you know, echoing down the corridors of whatever frantic shopping centre you happen to be at. But uh, just because everything is tinsely and carolly doesn't mean that all the challenges and hardships of life just stop, right? Don't we wish they would? (laughs) Can we just press pause for a while? Anyhow, I shared this at that service um, that I felt that people were struggling. So many people came up to me after the service and said, oh, that was for me. That you, you were speaking right to where I was at because real people are facing real things. And just because Christmas doesn't mean, ta-da, it's all gone. You know, maybe there's stuff going on with kids. When you've got young kids, right, you worry about them. You worry about their sleep. Hello? All the young parents said amen. No, they've all gone home, actually. They put in, the, the babies are having a nap now. <laughs> but you do, you worry about their behaviour, worry about their development. When they're older, you don't stop worrying. The worries just change. Do I have an Amen more mature parents. (laughs) But they do. Suddenly now, it's not about their sleep unless they just will not get up in the morning. (laughs) But it's about their choices and their friends and their faith and their future and all these types of things. You know, maybe you've got stuff going on in your marriage. You know, those moments where you just don't seem to be gelling, you know, So we've heard. (laughs) So people have told us. We've never been through anything like that except for this week and the week before that. (laughs) But, you know, when when you're not connecting and and communication is not flowing, it's hard, where where you just feel like conflict is just never that far away at any point. You know, these things are real things. Maybe work's hard. You know, you're stressed out of your mind, more, more work than hours, you know, redundancies looming maybe on the border of a... New year right now, you've got some big decisions to make. 
It's always this time of year, isn't it, when people start contemplating the year that's coming. Should I stay or should I go? Should I take that job? Should I leave that job? Where should I put the kids to school? All these sort of things. Then there's health issues. They definitely don't press pause just because it's Christmas. You know, maybe you've got aging parents. Maybe there's a diagnosis. All these sorts of things. And, and just because it's Christmas doesn't mean the elimination of these things. Life can be hard. Am I right? Life can just be challenging. And that's why today I want to speak to you all on the thought, what's your go-to? Turn to your neighbor and say, what's your go-to? What's your go-to when life is hard? What is it that you go to? Jesus said some remarkable things about hard moments that we face in our life. He tells us what we should go to. He speaks to the exhausted. <laughs> this time of year, right? Exhausted. I was speaking to my barista in the cafe the other day. She's a solo mom raising a couple of kids on her own. She said, I'm just exhausted. And she said, it seems like every single person that comes into the cafe is exhausted too. Who knows talking to your local barista is probably a good snapshot of society. <laughs> you know, people are exhausted. And Jesus speaks to the exhausted. He speaks to the tired. He speaks to the burden. He speaks to those who are weary and heavy laden and to the thirsty and to the empty. And he says to them three very simple words. He says, come to me. Come to me. We read it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Another passage in John chapter 7 where Jesus says, come to me. He says, it says, that, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Aren't they beautiful promises? Such stunning passages of Scripture. And if I may say so, Jesus makes some pretty bold statements about himself. Basically, he's telling us that he's the go-to. That's what he's saying about himself, that I am the go-to. And Jesus seems pretty confident in himself that whatever it is that you may be facing right now, he's there for it. Whatever storm might be blowing, buffeting around your life, he has got what you need. And I'm sure that all of us here today who are Christians, who have put our personal faith in Jesus Christ, we would all say yes and amen. We would all unanimously clap. Jesus is our go-to. Would we not? We would say that. But what I've discovered is when you ask that question, what's your go-to you get the nice Christian answer, and then there's the real answer. Then there's the actual answer. There's the thing that we ought to go to. There's the places that we know we should go to, and we know to go to, and then there's the things that we actually go to. Am I right? Now, the truth is, sometimes Jesus isn't our first go-to. Sometimes he can be our last resort, not our first port of call. 
You know, when things get hard in our lives, we can have a tendency sometimes to go to all sorts of different places, but not actually go to Jesus. There's a count in um, the book of Mark, chapter 4, and it actually documents the, the lives of the disciples when they were in a boat and their lives were getting battered around by a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And it's actually because of this account, this storm account, uh, it's recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. And it's because of this that we have come to associate the word storm to mean those challenging parts of our lives. Like if you've been a Christian for any time at all, you know that the word storm has come to mean those things that are big and scary. Those things that are really outside of our control that leave us overwhelmed and bewildered and all those sorts of things, these are what we mean when we refer to storms. And for the disciples in Mark chapter 4, they were facing a literal, physical storm. But we can take a lot from the text because don't we all face metaphorical storms? Don't we all face the different things that would, you know, batter our lives around And what's very interesting about this account in Mark chapter 4 we're going to read is to really observe what it is that the disciples go to. So we're going to start at verse 35 reading in Mark 4. On that same day when evening had come, he being Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose out of nowhere, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Thanks very much, Jesus. And they awoke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he, Jesus, arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, the disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and they said to one another, who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Everyone heard that passage of scripture before? You probably have. Remarkable account that shows us a glimpse of Jesus incarnate in full high definition. You really get to see Jesus as fully man, as he's asleep because he's knackered. He's asleep on a pillow in the, in the, in the hull of the boat. But then you see him as fully God as he gets up and speaks to the wind and waves and causes them still. But despite the fact that that the disciples actually have God himself incarnate, Jesus himself on board with them, they did not go to faith in him. They went to fear. They went to doubt. They went to worst case scenarios. They went to human wisdom. They went to all sorts of places, but they did not go to faith in him. They said this, they said, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Other versions will say, do you not care that we're going to die? Do you not care that we're going to drown? It it was the words from their mouth that reveal a whole lot about what was going on in their heart. Trust me, they had gone to some places. They had drawn some really wild conclusions. Suddenly, 
You know, because of this storm, suddenly they think they're going to die. Suddenly, because of this storm, now Jesus who had called them, Jesus who had anointed them and appointed them, suddenly in their thought process, he didn't even care. You know, suddenly everything they'd seen, everything they'd known, everything they'd heard is all null and void and brought into question because of the presence of the storm. And Jesus had something to say about that. He said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? In other words, Jesus actually expected a different kind of response from his disciples. Am I right? He had a different expectation. And I think that there is lessons here for us to learn because from what I see, the places the disciples went to that day on the boat, there's the very same places that we sometimes go to when the storms hit our lives. We can be very quick to go to fear. We can be very quick to go to doubt. We can be very quick also to go to human wisdom, to go to the worst case scenario, to catastrophize what's going on in our life. We can go to independence. We can go to control. We can go to hustling. We can go to making it all happen. Am I right? And whilst we can understand it, I want to say as disciples, there's a necessity to mature out of it, to come up out of it because none of these go-tos are actually the things that Jesus told us to go to. He said, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. It's an invitation. It's an invitation from Jesus. It's personal. It's it's individual. It's an invitation to you right where you're at. Like whatever you might be facing, he says, come to me, come to me. And the invitation in and of itself says so much about the very character and nature of our Savior, the very fact that he would beckon us to come. That's remarkable. You need to allow that to see la for a moment, you know. Let that blow your mind. The one who was and is and is to come says come. The one who sits at the right hand of the Father says come. It's not forceful. It's not demanding. It's just a gentle invitation, intimate, invested interested. Come, come. When you're exhausted and confused, come to me. When you're dry, when you're running on empty, come to me. And when we actually respond to Jesus' invitation, when we actually, in the middle of whatever we're going through, when we go to him, we find that going to him is laced with promise. It's full of promise for our lives. Nothing else we go to carries promise. You can go to a worst case scenario, but it will not calm the storm. You can go to human wisdom, but it's not going to give you rest for your soul or give you peace. It won't do that. The only go-to that carries promise for you is going to Jesus. That's the only go-to that has promise for you. It's in Him we find peace. It's in Him we find an easy yoke and a light burden. He promises us rest for our souls. Who needs a bit of soul rest? Amen. You might say to me, oh, this is all very well and good. (laughs) Sounds nice. Go to Jesus. Sounds nice. But it's a bit fluffy. 
Like, what does that actually mean? Like, I've got real issues. I've got issues. You know, what does it mean in the face of these real present challenges? What does it actually mean to go to Jesus when the storm is raging? And with the time I've got left, I'd love to unpack three practical elements that, that kind of unpack what going to Jesus actually means in our lives. And the first thing I want to say is we got to go to his word, not to our own. Going to Jesus means going to his word, not to our own. See, on the boat that day, Jesus had spoken a word. He had spoken something very clear, but they had not clung to the word. Rather, they magnified their own word. Can you imagine the chatter in the boat amongst the disciples as the storms were rolling in and as Jesus was asleep? They would have been talking amongst themselves. And Peter's like, oh, guys, this isn't looking very good. Guys, I think the boat's going down. Thomas is like, guys, I, don't, I doubt we'll make it. Haven't seen weather like this since 2018. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what they were saying, but I'm sure they were chattering amongst themselves. That joke went better in my head than it clearly went in the congregation. <laughs> it tanked in the earlier service as well. I don't, I don't know why I thought it would work with you. But, anyway, <laughs> but they were chattering amongst themselves. They would have been. But for as long as they went to their own word, for as long as they went to the counsel of the people around them, they had actually abandoned the word of Jesus. They'd abandoned because his word to them was we are going to the other side. His word to them was we are crossing over. And we understand, do we not, through scripture, Jesus Christ is the living word. John chapter one tells us very clearly that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So this, this, the word of God, this is Jesus in print. You understand, you will find the living word embedded in the pages of the written word. Jesus is here to be found by you in here. So Mark chapter 4 tells us that Jesus is asleep on the pillow. You, you track with me like this idea of the living word, asleep on the pillow. I think that is a very interesting visual because many of us have allowed the living word to go to sleep in our hearts. We've let the living word sleep in our hearts, we know the word. We've heard the word before, but right now it's sleeping. Right now it's inactive. Right now it, it's dormant because we haven't gone to it. We haven't roused the word of God in our heart in the middle of our storm. Maybe we're obsessed with our own word. Are we continuing to seek the counsel of this one or that one or the other one? Not necessarily bad, but maybe their fear has rubbed off on us. Maybe our stress has rubbed off on them. All the while, the Word of God is asleep in your heart. I believe some of us need to wake up the Word. Come on, you go, I'm preaching better than you're calling. Some of us need to wake up the Word. Wake up the Word. It was when they woke up the word on the boat that day. That is when peace was restored. That is when calm came. That is when all the equilibrium came back, not just in the natural world, but in their hearts when they woke up the word. Maybe in the middle of your crisis, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your challenge. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Maybe it's just a little niggly thing. But maybe you need to wake up the word. 
What does Jesus say about your situation? What has He spoken? What is the promise for your life? If you don't have a promise for your life, ask Him for one. You know, there's 7,487 promises. Can we let that number can we let that number sink in? 7,400, according to Google, 87 promises. I didn't count them all myself. I'm just believing. But they're there for you. They're there for me. Scripture says all of God's promises are yes in Christ. And we speak the amen. So God ask ourselves, am I speaking the amen? To the glory of God the Father, we let the Word go to sleep in our life at our own peril. We become over-familiar with the Word of God at our own peril because it's only His Word that's alive and active. It's only His Word that knows how to be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. We have to let His Word be the loudest Word in our mind, in our ears, in our heart, amen? So going to Jesus means going to His Word, but it also means going to His wisdom. We've got to go to His wisdom, not to human wisdom. See, the disciples looked at the storm and they went straight to their own wisdom. They made their analysis. They drew their conclusions. We are done for. In this storm, we're going to die. And it made sense. It was logical because... It wasn't an uneducated opinion. These guys were actually fishermen. They'd seen rough weather before. They knew uh, what that was like. It was not like that they were just, yeah, just some fools casting their opinion. It was an educated opinion. And through the lens of human wisdom, they probably were likely to die. And it's so tempting for us, is it not, in the middle of our storms to go to human wisdom too. Like, just like the disciples, we start analyzing, we start calculating, we start projecting and predicting, and we use logic and we look to what our eyes see or what the doctor says or what Google says and all these sort of things. Here's the thing Jesus is not limited to human wisdom. Jesus is not subject to the way we see it and the way we think about it. And when we go to human wisdom, it's actually the opposite of going to his wisdom. Here's the thing about human wisdom. It's never actually going to take you to faith. It's always only going to take you to fear. Human wisdom. To go to human wisdom is to go to fear. What's more, to go to human wisdom is to go to limitation. If all we've got to rely on in the challenging circumstances of our life is our own understanding and our own resource and our own capacity, no wonder we're afraid. No wonder we're depressed. (laughs) Because try as hard as we might, we can't fix it. You can hustle harder. You can put more hours in, but you might still be stuck at the end of the day. To go to Jesus is an invitation to go above and beyond human wisdom. To see things now, not through the eyes of the natural, but to see things through the lens of faith. To see your situation as Jesus sees your situation from His Perspective, because praise God, the God we serve has no limitations. He has none. When we go to Jesus, we understand that His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Amen. His ways are higher than our ways. When we go to Jesus, we understand that the storm doesn't overwhelm Him. He overwhelms the storm. The storm doesn't speak to Him. He speaks to the storm. Who knows our storms try and speak to us. 
constantly. But we have a Jesus who speaks to the storm. When we go to Jesus, we go to the Almighty One. You know that word Almighty? I read a definition for Almighty. It simply means this. It so blessed me. Almighty means He has His hand on everything. Everything that ever was. Everything that ever will be. The Almighty One has his hands on everything. So comforting to me because I struggle to keep my hands on just a couple of things. You know what it's like? You know, you feel like you're doing well in one area of your life, but you're dropping balls in five different areas of your life. Is it just me? (laughs) Everyone's like, yeah, it's just you. (laughs) It's not just me. We've all been there. Jesus, the Almighty One, has a grip on everything. All of the time. All of it. That's why we go to him. You need, you need wisdom. He is perfect wisdom. You need counsel. He is perfect counsel. You need knowledge. He is perfect knowledge, perfect understanding. You need power. He is perfect in power. Whatever you need, wherever you're at, He has it. He is it. He's got it. Amen. He has ways and means of moving in your situation that you haven't even conceived of. And if we rely on human wisdom, then we're stuck. We're limited. One plus one has to equal two. But in the kingdom of heaven, one plus one can equal whatever Jesus wants it to equal. Just think about the account of two fish and five loaves of bread. If we go to human wisdom, that just equals any Dumbo can see. Just a meal for two or three people max. That's all there is. Line in the sand. Human wisdom. But when we go to Jesus... Those same loaves, those same fish can be whatever he commands it to be. Can be a meal for thousands with baskets left over. That's why we've got to go to his wisdom and not to our own. Proverbs puts it so beautifully. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't go to your own wisdom. It's so very limited in all of your ways, son. In all of your ways, daughter, go to him. Go to him. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. At our own peril, if that's just something on our toilet door. It's got to be alive in our heart. We go to his wisdom. And the final thought to go to Jesus is to go to remembrance, not forgetfulness. It's a trait of our humanity, isn't it? That we're very quick to forget. We can hold on to the things we really want to hold on to, like that grudge. (laughs) But we're very quick in some instances to forget, are we not? Israel in the desert was so quick to forget the mighty works of God, the one who had delivered them, the one who had brought them out of slavery. And yet when they hit up against challenges in the wilderness, they forgot. They forgot his faithfulness. They forgot what he had done. And the disciples in the boat in Mark chapter 4, they actually forgot too. See, if you were to read this account of the storm out of Matthew chapter 8, the the beginning portion of Matthew chapter 8 details all the wondrous things that Jesus had actually done right before they got onto the boat. It tells us about how Jesus cleansed a leper. 
How Jesus healed the centurion servant with just a word. It tells us about how Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and how he cast demons out of many people by just speaking the word. So these disciples had firsthand, firsthand and recent evidence of Jesus' power and of Jesus' willingness to work his wonders in the lives of people that would put their faith in him. Yet when they found themselves in their own storm, how quick they were to forget. How quick they were to just let it all go. And we need to learn from them because for us to go to Jesus is actually to go to remembrance. I heard Bill Johnson say something once that so touched me. He said, when you're going through challenging times, when you're going through hard things, why don't you ask this, yourself this question? Ask yourself, can you see? And maybe your answer is in the middle of the challenging time, well, actually, no. No, I can't see. So then ask yourself this, can you hear? And again, your answer might be, no. No, can't hear right now. I've got no word resonating in my heart. So ask yourself, can you remember? It's a different question, isn't it? Can you remember suddenly everything changes, even if you've got no vision and even if you've got no fresh word? Go to remembrance. Go to remembrance. And as you reflect on God's goodness in seasons past, it fills you with faith that he's going to be good to you in your present. Amen. As you reflect on his faithfulness, It fills you with confidence. Faithful he has been. Faithful he will be. Going to Jesus means going to remembrance. And the ultimate act of remembrance is actually communion. It's a sacrament that has been instituted for you and for I so that we can remember. You know, you you can take communion whenever you want. (laughs) You don't have to wait for us to put it on your chair on a Sunday morning. You can take communion at home. And to be honest, it's going to taste better if you do that. (laughs) There's guilty laughter all over the church. (laughs) Go to remembrance. Go to remembrance. Take communion at home. Find some time. Carve out some space and just remember. Remember that he loves you so much that he was not prepared to leave you dead in your sins. Come on, this has got to be touching someone today. Remember that he loves you so much that he did not withhold heaven's best for you. Remember. Remember Romans eight thirty two. Remember that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he's already given us the ultimate gift, if he's already sacrificed heaven's best for us, if he's already paid our debt that we could not pay, what makes you think he's going to let you drown in this storm? What makes you think that he is going to leave you now? Go to remembrance. Go to remembrance. The waves might be huge. The storm might be buffeting, but never forget how much Jesus loves you and how much he is with you. Nothing can separate you. Amen. Singers and musos, come join me.
but time's nearly up. In our lives, um, in our family right now, I'm in a predicament where I'm very much having to practice what I preach. It's always uncomfortable when you have to practice what you preach, isn't it? I'm in that place right now. Most of you would know Isaiah, our 16-year-old son uh, with Mowat Wilson syndrome. And he is so beautiful. We love him so much. To know Isaiah is to love him, right? (laughs) few of you know him. But but he, yeah, he just really struggles his way through life and recently he brought me a piece of his artwork and he had attempted to write his own name. I've got a photo of it for you. There we go. <laughs> Isish. Isish. We were actually really proud of that because that is a good effort from our boy. Really good effort. <laughs> but it's also really worrying, isn't it? You know, when you've got a 16-year-old can't spell his name probably. That's indicative of the capac- his literacy capacity. He can't even say his name properly. My other son Jensen has just graduated high school and he's looking to study commerce at uni next year and the world is opening up for him. He went overseas for leavers, in fact he's still there. Because what it is for us as parents is right in real time, we are catching a glimpse of what it is to release a child to independence, what it is to kind of have them grow into that place. And as much as we celebrate that for Jensen, in the back of our minds, in the seat of our hearts, we understand that by a radical miracle of the Lord, this is never going to be our experience with Isaiah. It's never going to be his Reality to get to enjoy those things. And it's, it's a bit heartbreaking. It's definitely terrifying. <laughs> and so I have to ask myself this question constantly, like what is my go-to? What is my go-to? Because I promise you the temptation abounds to go to all sorts of places, to go to fear, to go to worst case scenarios, to go to anxiety, to go to professionals and agencies and bodies and information and Google to go to all these places. But I have to choose just like you do day in, day out. I am going to go to Jesus. And to go to Jesus, it means to go to faith again, to go not to my own understanding, to, to go to His wisdom, to go to His Word and believe that He works all things together for God, for those who love Him. That all death is swallowed up in victory, that all these light and momentary troubles are exceeding, achieving for us a weight of glory that's going to eclipse them all. I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to His Word. I'm going to faith. And I'm going to remembrance. I go to remember because 16 years of Isaiah's life and Jesus has been so good. Jesus has been so faithful. Jesus has been miraculous. Like honestly, Google His syndrome. Google his syndrome. It is an absolute miracle that Isaiah is well. 
If you look at his counterparts on the internet, you will very quickly realize that he should not be healthy. The fact that he hasn't had a seizure is an absolute miracle. And I can't let myself forget. I have to remember. I have to remember because it fuels me when I can't see the future. I don't know. And I feel overwhelmed. I can boldly declare faithful he has been. Faithful he will be. Amen. Faithful he will be. So my question to all of us today, what's your go-to? Who is your go-to? Not what did you used to go to, not what does your wife go to, your family go to, your husband go to, not even what do you say you go to, but what do you actually go to? Where do you turn? Is Jesus your last resort or is he your first port of call? Because the invitation stands open to each and every one of us today. Doesn't matter what we did yesterday. Jesus is speaking today, saying, come to me. Come to me. And as we do that, as we obey that, we realise that we get to step into peace, step into promise and find rest for our souls. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.